0: Blog Talk Radio Slow down, touch your life Don't you know there's friends to be found
1: Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show, sponsored by Sunbury Press, publisher of books under 11 different imprints, sold worldwide, wherever books are sold. I'm your host, Lawrence Knorr, and today we have author Kelly Park. Kelly is a certified safety professional. He's also a retired Sandlot athlete, never having the skills to take it to the next level, but enjoying every moment of those pickup games. He enjoys reading about many different subjects, but books about pre-World War II baseball are his favorite. While searching for one to read, he came across a review that said, The book is so well written, the reader will feel like he's on the field with the players. Kelly's first thought was, I've never had the ability to play pro baseball, but I sure have a lot of great memories of playing youth baseball. I wonder what the pros remember about their youth. Searching for a book on this subject Resulted in zero hits, so he decided he would gather the stories for a book. Kelly's debut book, Just Like Me, When the Pros Played on the Sandlot, Volume 1, is the first book to tell the story of professional baseball players' memories of playing youth baseball. Thirty-six former professional players recount amazing stories of growing up playing baseball and events that ultimately shaped their careers. Kelly Park, author of Just Like Me. Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show.
0: Uh, Lawrence, uh, it's great to be with you. Thank you.
1: I find the topic very interesting as we were talking uh, on the pre-show, getting ready for this about youth baseball. Of course, both of us have played youth baseball as well, and we won't bore the audience with all those details. <laughs> They're more interested in the <laughs> in the professionals, I'm sure. But uh, it's a fascinating approach you took here, and you, you gathered a bunch of players. Uh, you communicated with them, and then you went through sort of a, a process where you got into different subjects. So maybe you could tell us your uh, your method. Who did you contact? How did you get a hold of them? And then maybe give us sort of an overview of the topics you you covered with them.
0: Sure. Well, um, as I entered into this project, I have no connections in Major League Baseball. I have no connections in the literary slash publishing world. So, I was starting with nothing. Being a risk manager, safety consultant, um, typically when I have a project, I will lay it out and plan it out before implementing. So, that's what I did. I just looked at this uh, this book as a project. So, I laid out a plan on how the book would look, the questioning, uh, the objective, and how in the world I was going to contact these players was the one variable that I really didn't have an answer for. Yeah. So, a lot of the initially a lot of my uh, opportunities and ultimate interviews was right place at right time. The the first player I interviewed was a gentleman by the name of Jim Hickman, and it just so happened I was at a customer's facility that I had been visiting for 10 years. And out of the blue, and this was probably two weeks after I conceived this idea for the book, the owner, he pointed at a gentleman and he said, hey, you know who Jim Hickman is? And I said, sure, played with the Cubs. He said, well, that's his son right there. uh, You know, why he introduced Mr. Hickman's son, Bill, to me at that moment in time after I'd been visiting them, I'd been there 20, 25 times prior, I have no idea. But from that interview, uh, I found out that a close friend of mine that I played golf with was um, related by marriage to Phil Ruth. From there, Phil introduced me to Hawk Taylor. Um, by chance, my sons were in a uh, high school national competition in Baltimore. I knew Boog Powell, uh, sat outside of his uh, barbecue stand before games and we yeah. had tickets to the games so uh Lawrence the, the my method to contact players uh is 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 as varied as the players that I talk to
1: yeah i'm sure i was i was looking down through the 8 is it 18 that are in the first book yes it I is recall. yeah and so yeah, I've had the I had baseball cards for a lot of these guys when I was growing up. So, so some of them are familiar mm-hmm. to me. Actually, they're all yeah. almost all of them are somewhat familiar. But you got Fergie Jenkins in there, so Hall of Famer Fergie Jenkins. How'd you run into Fergie? Well,
0: as I'm got into the process and really made some connections with these players, I developed a connection within Major League Baseball. And the final, I'd say, 10 to 12 interviews, and one includes Fergie, um, was obtained through uh, this connection that I uh, and managed to to make. And, you know, Fergie, I was scheduled to meet with Fergie in Miami during the uh, All-Star festivities. I think that was in 2017. And he had told me, he said, hey, Kelly, look me up. I'll be at so-and-so hotel we'll get together and we'll talk so I get into town and he I called him and he said Kelly I'm so sorry uh, my wife has fallen ill I've not been able to make it so I wasn't able to uh, interview Fergie in person I, he said you you tell me when it's gonna be good for you and you call me so we set up a time and man we we were on the phone for probably an hour talking but uh, yeah I, I found my uh, other uh, 18 that's in volume 1 I interviewed in person ten of them, um, and I found that my in-person interviews—they weren't—I would—I wouldn't per se—were say better, but I was able to read the expressions yeah. on the players' faces, so I was able to uh, alter my questioning slightly to maybe elicit uh, additional information.
1: But they—they they were all great. Yeah, I uh, wrote a book on Eddie Plank. Of course, he's long dead. Yeah. But then I did a. Before that, I did a book on Carl Scheibe and got to know him before he passed. Youngest uh-huh. baseball player in Major League history and then American League history. And so I get you, we, we spent several days with him and what a riot. Uh, I can't imagine you sitting down with this many different guys and the kinds of things you you covered. Uh, another one I, I saw that, well, I'm interested in all of them. We don't have time to talk about all of them. But Jim Cott was somebody, he put, pitched for the Phillies for a while. And I know when yeah. I flipped his bubblegum card over in the back, I was always like, ooh, he pitched for the Washington Senators. They're like, they're no longer around. You know, I, I yeah. thought that was really interesting and in how long his career was. And yeah, he, he certainly uh, must have had an interesting perspective on things.
0: Very much so. His, his father was known as Mr. Baseball in their hometown of Zealand. And his father instilled a a sense of the importance of history with Jim and honestly I think Jim's father in in that history uh, or his love of the history of the game really enabled Jim to have such a long career because Jim would have been a bonus baby and for the, the listeners that aren't familiar with that era of baseball in the 50s if a major league team signed a player out of high school or college a contract of $4,000 or more, then that Major League team had to put that newly signed player on the Major League roster for at least a year. And there was a three-year period where they required them to be on the roster for two years. So you take a player like Hawk Taylor, who's in the book. Hawk was an absolutely unbelievable youth player, high school player. Every team, every Major League team in the in um, the country, wanted him, wanted to sign him. He ultimately signed for over a hundred thousand dollars. There, I've read different numbers, but Hawk was stuck on the major league roster for roughly a year and a half. Got all total maybe seven at bats when he should have been in the minor leagues honing his skills. Well, Hawk or Jim uh, Jim Cox's dad knew what was happening. And Jim was offered a $25,000 signing bonus, but his dad said, no, no, I think we're going to take the $3,500 that uh, was being offered. So Jim went to the minor leagues for a year and a half, two years, honed his skills, built his confidence, and then look what he had, like 24-, 25-year major league career. Yeah. I, I really believe that his dad had a lot to do with this longevity, the longevity of his career
1: should also add here that this book isn't just about major league baseball uh, you also have a couple of uh, women who were professionals in the mm-hmm. all-american girls professional baseball league and then uh you know there was an interesting development in recent months where the negro leagues at least for the the more recent period uh, i guess it was the 20s through the the 40s were cons- mm-hmm. you know we're recognized as major leagues so that that was a welcome yeah. change uh, in baseball at least as far as recognizing statistics um i see bill greeson on here and i think you have a couple other negro league players maybe you could talk about how you got in mm-hmm. touch with them and they, i'm sure they had some maybe a little different spin on some of the stories they told
0: they did uh, with, with both bill greeson and jim Zapp <laughs> When you asked me how I contacted the players with, with uh, Reverend Greason and, and Jim Zapp, I, I went straight to the white pages, the at and white pages, <laughs> and uh, their number was in the book. Picked up the phone, called them, and they said, "Sure, come on down, we'll talk." Uh, Mr. Grierson, he what was interesting with the Negro League players is that they didn't really didn't have a lot of opportunity uh, with youth baseball, m- not like the, the other players I talked to. Um, Jim Zapp played a lot of sandlot ball growing up, but nothing organized. His organized um, baseball started in, in the military when he was stationed in Hawaii uh, during World War II. Uh, Bill Greeson was, was on Iro Jima, uh, but he started out playing softball. And
1: uh,
0: Reverend Greason, he told me a story about the team that he was in on and the the league that he played in was sponsored by area funeral homes. And the funeral home directors would not let the kids take the uniforms home with them because they knew that they wouldn't come back. Um, So they'd have to come to the funeral home uh, to get ready before the game. And uh, Bill was telling me that inevitably – these kids, him and his buddies would start snooping around the the funeral home and the funeral director would wait for him to get into a room with a body and then he'd turn the lights out on him. He said, you can't imagine how the screaming started uh, when when that funeral director would do that. But yeah, uh, Bill and and Jim uh, had a lot of great stories um, as well as uh, Lois Young and and Katie Horseman. Uh, You know, they're... Their stories about growing up was just as uh, interesting, entertaining as the major league players. Um, Lois, Lois's dad played at Kent State. He was a pitcher at Kent State University. So he taught Lois how to play and how to catch. So Lois started playing on a, a local youth team with the boys. Well, the other teams was giving the, the boys on her team such a hard way to go about having a girl on the team that they asked her to quit. And it said it just she said it just devastated her. But they played three games without Lois and lost all three games and they decided that it would be better to play with a girl than to lose without one. So she was quickly asked to rejoin the team.
1: That's great. That's great. So it seemed like you had some structure to your interviews because your your book is set up with with chapters and sections like you know their hometown, their family, their coaches nicknames, and so on maybe uh is, is that the case where you you pretty much had a formula as you talked to each one? I'm sure you couldn't stick to it, but maybe yeah. maybe tell us about that
0: well uh the the chapter titles was my worksheet, and i um I made sure at some point in the conversation I would touch on that that topic so that. I could have some consistency in the interviews. When I first started out, my interview with Jim Hickman and uh, Phil Ruth, I, my plan was was to record the stories, take notes, and then write their story. I quickly realized that wasn't working, that the essence of their stories were, was being lost. So I uh, pivoted and decided I was going to transcribe the interviews. So, yeah, I had I wanted that consistency, so I made sure that I covered the same topics with every player. Now, I, w- I would let them go their own path, take their own path as to how I got this information, um, but it was it was a free, fr- free flowing conversation, but I just wanted to make sure that I touched on all these topics as we went down now that last chapter extra innings with the pros when I contacted the players and I think that's what got me uh, an audience with the players is that I presented my, my project and I I was completely upfront with them. I said, you know, I'm not interested in your professional career. I want to talk to you about your youth and your youth career and how that impacted you um, as you went into your major league career, your professional career. And I think that intrigued the players so that they were willing to listen to me, and then um, uh, as we moved along, uh, it was it was just kind of an open-ended conversation. But the extra innings with the pros—that's when that storytelling um, gene or the DNA—I think every every player that becomes a pro, they they get uh, a, a new gene, and that gene is storytelling. Because every one of these players that I interviewed had these great stories, and they yeah. would pivot into these stories of um, things that happened as they were pros. And, you, you, you know, the readers can, can see and, and that uh, these players had a lot of stories to tell. And a lot of them, they would start to tell me something, and I could tell they didn't really want to say it. So I'd show them. I said, look, I'm turning this off because I wanted to hear the story. So I'd turn yeah. the recorder off, set it down. They'd tell me the stories. And then when they were through, then we'd go back to the recorded interviews. Yeah, I heard some good stories.
1: Yeah, I know when I was talking to Carl Scheib, uh, he he pretty much said the same thing, and he told me some things, especially about Major League Young guys traveling on trains in the 40s <laughs> and what they did on the road. He's like, I want this book to be, uh, you know, read by the kids and not. You know, Uh like, all right, Carl, I promise not to put that in, at least not while you're alive. And he laughed. (laughs) He said, well, you better not put it in when I'm dead because I'll haunt you. In his Pennsylvania Dutch accent. It was funny. So, uh, yeah, you really have a pretty broad and deep interview with these these players. And I think the readers will really enjoy the stories that they tell, Uh, a lot of them surprising and uh you know again we're limited in time we'll get a little bit about a little more than 10 minutes left so no time to yeah. to tell a lot of these stories we'll have to encourage the readers to pick up the book and and dig into it that way but could could you yeah. sort of uh summarize like like are there any themes here like i'm guessing that the thread of a lot of these stories might be they were the they weren't always the best player in their area at the time, or maybe uh, got recognized mm-hmm. at an unexpected moment, things like that.
0: Uh, that that varies. You know, some of the players were the best; others were not. Um, yeah, you know, like like Whitey Herzog. He's, I asked him if he was the best player on the team. He said, "Oh, no, no, no." He he mentioned a a player and player. He went on to play a little bit in the minor leagues. Had a back injury. Uh, several of the players said that. Oh, there was better players, but whether it be uh, their home life, or just a bad decision, something prevented them from going on and, and uh pursuing a professional career but uh the underlying theme for me number one was just the family support that all of the players talked about. They all talked in finally about whether it was their their parents or coaches. Every one of these players could remember their youth coaches in their names I mean it was it was really interesting uh, to hear that uh, also just the attitude that a lot of the players exhibited or told me about when they were young that you know they were just out there having fun they they weren't necessarily just um, go 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 I want to be the best I want to be a professional player they just wanted to go out and have fun whether it's playing in an organized game or what a lot of the players told me, they feel like kids need to be out playing pickup games, making up their yeah. own games. That there's the kids are relying too much on structure to go out and play baseball, and that true love of the game is is being lost or has been lost. That they really would like to see these kids get out and play whatever pickup game game they can make up, whiffle ball, whatever it may be.
1: Um, Was there a pl- was there a player who knew, just knew they were going to be a pro someday?
0: Uh, Hawk Taylor. Hawk Taylor. Hawk Taylor's, yeah. Uh, yeah. His his uncle, two of his uncles played professionally, one in the major leagues with the Yankees, and he had a cousin that played in the minors. And his dad was a really good player. But as Hawk told me, he said, my dad could make more money driving a truck than he could playing minor league ball. So he quit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> but Hawk, Hawk, played with his uncles when they had, in the off season, they had teaching. And he said I knew from the get go. I was gonna be a pro, pro player.
1: that's interesting. And as far as uh what I mean were there what was the most uh you think astonishing rise out of the group you talked to, the one that probably that I never thought I'd make it but I did. Was there anybody like that? I know you said oh, Whitey wasn't yeah. the best, but
0: I tell you, yes. And any young Any young listener and young reader of this book, the story they need to read is of Doug Flynn. Doug Flynn was undersized. He was a good athlete, but he was undersized, and he was not recruited at all to play professional baseball. He he was a good basketball player, so he played on the freshman team at the University of Kentucky. So obviously he had some skills. But it was he was one and done at the University of Kentucky. So he went to a junior college in southeastern Kentucky, not playing any sports, just kind of horsing around, playing some um, adult league softball. But he started growing and started getting stronger. On a lark, he went with his friends to a Cincinnati Reds tryout. And those skills, along with that, growth spurt caught the attention of the scouts. And after three callbacks, or two callbacks, ultimately three tryouts, he was signed by the Cincinnati Reds. Two years later, he's in the major leagues.
1: Yeah, I remember Doug Flynn.
0: I don't remember him being a
1: star, but I remember him being pretty solid. He was solid, and he
0: ultimately, he was traded to the uh New York Mets and won a gold glove gold glove with the Mets. So he, he was he was a, a good player. He was on those big red machine teams in the early seventies. Yeah.
1: yeah. But they yeah, were that, good.
0: He, he's the one. <laughs> I I'll tell you one other real quick. Whitey Herzog, uh what was interesting what he told me about he he felt like he was the cause of his high school team his junior year, his high school baseball team losing the state championship game, and he also felt like he was the cause of his high school basketball team losing the state tournament his senior year, and then he he goes on, he plays in the major leagues, he manages, and he's managing the Royals, and he's getting beat by the Yankees, (laughs) getting beat uh, in the World Series um, when he would get past the Yankees. And when he finally won that World Series with the Cardinals in 82, yeah. he said, man, I, I feel like I got the monkey off my back. And, you know, he, he's, a, he's a pro. And he's, he's, he was still going back to his youth uh, carrying a, a, a burden. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of lessons to be learned in this book outside of just the, um, the stories of the, kid, the players
1: playing as a kid. Whitey's definitely a case, uh, though he had a good pro career, he definitely made his mark as a manager. And, uh, yes, he did. I miss body ball. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. That's fun to watch. So uh, one of my favorite topics is nicknames. And being a baseball historian myself, there's some really fun nicknames through the years. And uh, I'm just wondering about the nicknames chapter. Uh, if you have an anecdote or two there about how they got their nicknames, anyone in particular sure. stand
0: out? Well, Boog is the... Um, obvious one. And I read... Oh, you mean that's not his given interview. name? <laughs> that is not his given name, no. I'm just kidding. Uh, and and he didn't get that nickname because he picked his nose. Um, his dad, the, the story that was out there was that his dad would always say, hey, look at that little booger run. Uh, and it just uh, eventually got shortened to Boog. So I asked Boog about his nickname and expecting to hear this story he proceeds to tell me that, you know, I never really knew how I got my nickname, but I was talking to my aunt, Eun- my aunt Eunice about two weeks ago or two months ago, and she told me that she's the one that gave me this nickname, and it's from, and she proceeds to tell him the story of how he got his uh, nickname, this true nickname here. And as he's telling me this, I'm thinking, holy cow. I've not heard this or read this anywhere. I think I'm getting a scoop. <laughs> well, Lawrence, Lawrence, I don't know where you were at at the time, but I could have used you because we could have got a, the scoop of the century on how Boog actually got his name if we could have got this book out in time. Uh, <laughs> but in the end, uh, Boog published, it was about four years after our interview, Boog published a book, and he told that story. And that's the only other place that I've seen this particular story told is, okay. uh, of how he got his nickname. Well, uh, well, we we won't so tell the, everybody. Well, they'll have to buy no, either Boob's no. book or, or this book. <laughs> well, I'd prefer them to buy my book. And, yeah, uh, or too. our <laughs> book, and uh, they can they can see how uh, Aunt Eunice come up with this this nickname. Uh, Hawk Taylor got his nickname uh, from a uh, a serial movie serial. This was back in the the forties, uh, called Hawk of the Wilderness. Um, who else? Whitey Herzog. His actual nickname as a as a kid was Riley he didn't get the nickname Whitey until he got into the minor leagues oh, okay so so there's a lot of Fergie Jenkins obviously Fergie uh his nickname was plywood as, as a kid his, his friends would, but you know Fergie is the one that stuck so there's a lot yeah they and that's one thing that's missing I think is back in those days, everybody had a nickname. I had a nickname yeah. growing up uh, Not too many people that I'm aware of have nicknames
1: like they did. Uh, as we did. Oh, Kelly, you're not going to believe this, but we're almost out of time. And uh, what I'd like to cover here in the last minute or so is I know you've got this book one out. Tell us a little bit about book two and what else you're working on.
0: Well, book two is uh, just a continuation of this book. I've got players like uh, Bobby Richardson, the great New York Yankee player, uh, Hall of Famers Don Sutton, Phil Necro, who we just lost. Phil was a great guy. I interviewed him in person. Had the great pleasure of interviewing Tony Oliva, Louis Tiant, and Bert Campanaris at the same time. So you take, you take three gentlemen who were born and raised in Cuba and you take a, a kid that was raised, born and raised in Kentucky and you try to get those four individuals to communicate. Uh, let me tell you, it was, it was an interesting uh, time that we had together so um yeah, a lot of great uh players interviewed there. I've got an idea for another book um bouncing around about uh what makes a um a talented player a success versus not a success sort of these these five tool players that
1: yeah.
0: is is labeled and why why does one player who's a five tool player make it and become an all star and another five tool player not make it. What what are the characteristics? What are the circumstances? What are the occurrences that makes that happen? So that's just something I'm kind of mulling around right now. We'll see if that uh,
1: goes any further. If you can figure out that secret sauce, I think a lot of organizations would be interested in it. Hey, <laughs> yeah. we've been talking to Kelly Park, the author of Just Like Me. Kelly, it's been great having you. We, we'll have you back when book two comes out. How about that? I look forward to it, Lawrence. And I,
0: I want to compliment you and your team on this book. It looks great. I am so happy
1: with it. So thank you very much for, for right. what you've done. Thank you, Kelly. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. This has been the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Be sure to check out our books at www.sunburypress.com or search for our titles on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other booksellers worldwide. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are hundreds more available on the BookSpeak Network you can find our channel on blogtalkradio.com thank you for